The Coin Week podcast is brought to you by PCGS, the professional coin grading service. Win money and numismatic glory by being among the first to submit W Mint America the Beautiful Quarters. The hunt is on for three of this year's issues. Visit www.pcgs.com to learn more. This week on the Coin Week podcast, Dan Sedwick from Daniel Frank Sedwick comes to talk about the firm's 25th treasure auction, which kicks off later this week. We talk about what's in the sale, the state of the world coin market, and discuss some of my favorite lots next on the Coin Week podcast. Hi, Dan. Thanks for joining me on the Coin Week podcast. Oh, I'm, I'm happy to be here. The reason I wanted to have you on was to discuss some key items that appear in your treasure auction catalog. Your next big sale will take place later this week, starting on May 2nd. Uh, if you're listening to the podcast, you can go to auction.sedwickcoins.com uh, to register to bid or review all of the lots in the sale. Uh, we're only going to have a chance to talk in depth about a few of them, but you definitely want to check it out. Uh, so, Dan, tell our listeners uh, what you have in store for them this time and uh, which areas you think are the most interesting. And I'll mention a few lots that I picked out so we can sort of give them an in-depth uh, rundown. Great. Yes. Well, um, you know, this is like all of our sales. Uh, several months ago, we couldn't tell you at all what was going to be in it. <laughs> and it's just amazing some of the things that, that come our way unexpectedly. Some things we know about and some things we actively solicit, uh, but in the end, somehow we always come uh, come up with a, a, an exciting auction with very new and different things. Uh, a lot of the material that we have is along our usual lines, namely from shipwrecks or Latin American, uh, but this time in particular, we have some other uh, outlying areas uh, for us uh, that are also pretty exciting. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, the gold ingots and, and silver ingots that we have, uh, you can't find any other place but, but our auctions, and uh, those continue to get very strong results. Uh, also, cobs, the earliest uh, form of coinage from the New World, um, those are always a very strong area for us, and, and we've got great representation there in uh, general world and, and gold and silver coins uh, like i say uh, some very exciting latin american rarities especially in the in the gold early uh, republican material uh, but this time uh, we've also incorporated uh, coin jewelry which is kind of another exclusive in our auctions uh, that we started a couple auctions ago uh, after a few of our jewelry clients lost their businesses in in various hurricanes uh, and uh, from that was uh, the beginning of, of uh, what has been kind of a successful uh, new area in our auction. Um, but uh, we've also made inroads in the area of metals. Um, surprisingly, uh, the, the metals collectors uh, um, in the Latin American area uh, just were not finding enough material in, in the other auctions, so we took the step to start offering that in, in a larger form, and uh, it's uh, burgeoned into metals of other areas as well. Uh, in this particular sale, we have a very nice group of uh, Admiral Vernon metals that are, are very popular. Uh, then also there's a um, 
1687 Great Britain medal that uh, commemorates the, the salvage of, uh, uh, of a shipwreck in, in the Caribbean by uh, uh, Sir William Phipps. That's, that's always a very exciting thing. It has a nice tie-in to what we do. Um, in uh, the uh, World Silver Coins, I was going to mention a, a couple of things. Um, in a general way, uh, one is that we have a, a collection of West Indies uh, uh, copper coins, countermarked, um, generally French material. Um, that's kind of a first for us, at least in, in terms of a, a big group. And uh, so far, the, uh, the bidding has been pretty um, uh, strong in that area. And then also a very significant thing that uh, is new to us is a, um, is a significant collection of uh, Indian coins, including some 1945 original proof um, coins, a denomination set, uh, that come with the original envelopes from the Mint uh, where they were made. Um, and inside these envelopes are even uh, the original tissue paper that was uh, that surrounded the coins to make sure they didn't uh, get uh, uh, too toned. Um, but they did tone um, in, uh, I guess they were taken out of their tissue, and the toning on these coins is just beautiful. They are... Uh, they're all slabbed with the uh, PCGS and uh, uh, Proof 65, um, and uh, for three of them, and the last one is Proof 64. Um, very important coins, and uh, like I say, not uh, something that people nor- will normally find in our auctions, but uh, uh, because the way the Internet is today, uh, we have attracted uh, top Indian buyers already uh, with these pieces, and uh um, they so far the feedback has been quite positive that uh, these are very unusual um, finds in, in the in the world coin market and uh, exciting coins. And then of course we have artifacts as as always, uh, both from shipwrecks and not. Um, what's interesting this time uh, is uh, there are some gold chains and. Uh, uh, just the usual uh, material, uh, cross-section of material. Uh, we have quite a lot of uh, original Debray uh, engravings from the 1500s, early 1600s that are just beautiful. Uh, they were hand-colored. Generally, these are taken out of uh, uh, large books that uh, uh, were kind of like... Um, I don't want to say comic books of their times, but they were the chronicle. This was, uh, of course, they had no photos. So uh, people back then, if they wanted to know what was going on in the Americas and what all this uh, uh, discovery period was like, they had one of these books and they saw these pictures and they saw illustrations of what, at least what uh, the Europeans were, were thought or were, were led to believe the Indians looked like and uh, what the conquistadors were doing. So we have ships and men in armor and sometimes even body parts being cut off and just uh, very graphic and detailed and, and uh, beautiful pieces. So um, in addition to that, we have quite a few uh, early maps uh, that are hand-colored, uh, just a, a very wide-ranging auction, a um, lot of variety, a um, lot of excitement throughout, and uh, we're just, we can't wait to to see what the live bidding uh, to, does here, there's, there's going to be uh, quite a lot of action, I think. So, Dan, one of the lots I like in the sale is lot number 80. Um, this is an Ada Scudos gold coin from Argentina dated 1832. It is the 1832 over 1P from the La Rioja Mint. Uh, and it's from the collection of George Gunn III, a prominent world coin collector and sports executive. Uh, the coin is graded MS62 by NGC. 
There have been a few of these that have come in the auction the last uh, decade or so. One came to market recently at the Newman sale. Uh, that coin was graded the same as this one, but uh, I've reviewed both of these coins, and uh, I think that I like this example a little bit more in terms of strike and eye appeal. I think I give it a slight edge over the Newman coin. Right. I mean, in coins like this, you have several things going on, and you can't just look at grade. And that's something I'm quite used to with the early material that preceded the republics. Um, you have to look at everything the way the coin was struck. And this is just an exemplary piece in that regard. Uh, a lot better detail, uh, nicer surfaces and, and luster. Um, it's Yeah, it's a beautiful coin, and it's not just because of the grade. And this is a hot area of the market right now, uh, 19th century Central American, South American coinage, especially the gold coins. It, 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 you know, uh, most of the countries, that, that is the case, and Argentina is, is probably one of the strongest. Um, I think that that uh, partially has to do with the design and the symbolism, and uh, then also has to do with the the political history of, of that time, uh, and uh, just a very important period all around. But uh, Argentina, uh, from a very early period, uh, had very strong uh, numismatic habits, if you will, and um, it's reflected in a coin like this. The last time this exact coin appeared at auction was in 2007, so... This is a coin that has it all, in my opinion. It's a beautiful design. It's historically important. It's numismatically rare, conditionally rare. Uh, this is the kind of opportunity that only comes around uh, every uh, once in a while. So if you're a specialist collector, this is definitely a lot you want to pay attention to. Yeah, certainly in this quality, that's, that's the case. Uh, and the, the popularity is not just uh, due to the date or the quality, but just the type itself. And... Uh, you know, there's there are big gaps in in time periods if you want to collect all of the the early types. And uh, um, what's neat about this one here, it shows the overdate clearly, um, and apparently there is no evidence that there was uh, the clean date, uh, 1832, without the overdate. Uh, just a lot going on for this coin, really, and uh, it's it's been popular already. Already has uh, several bids. Another 19th century coin that I like is lot 107. A 10 peso Popayan, and uh, this is an extremely rare coin. Only four are known. Uh, this example is graded AU58 by PCGS and is the finest in the PCGS census. Uh, this coin is called AU, but it is extremely jimmy. Uh, it has a nice, attractive surface, a hint of color in the inscriptions. Uh, one of the things I love about this design is it has that hand-done primitive look to it. Although the effigy is beautiful, the lettering, the stars, those devices still are rustic. It doesn't look like a mass-produced coin. And uh, I think it's a coin that uh, just uh, just really speaks to me. If you like uh, 18th, 19th century, non-quote-unquote modern-looking coins, this is a great coin. Yes, a very cool coin. And for me, uh, personally interesting as well. Um, for different reasons, um, kind of a, a strange reason is the fact that uh, as a kid, I always collected the uh, half-dollar silver coins of Colombia, and the ones that I could never get were the Popayan pieces uh, just because, well, number one, because they were quite rare in silver, and number two, because they were always so crude that you could never get one that looked nice enough that, uh, or I couldn't get one that I, <laughs> I would want to own. Uh, and this coin has the same design. This is, uh, as a 10 pesos, it was the half of the uh, duro size, half of the, the 20 pesos. 
uh, very similar in that regard then to the uh, the half pesos, um, um, yeah, the half pesos and fifty centavos, um, and very crude. Uh, a coin like this, if it had been circulated um, much, you would it, it, the crudeness would just kind of come across uh, as uh, ugliness. But when it's high grade like this, it's a totally different story. Uh, you see what else is there. You see what things are punched over. Um, and um, despite all that, this is an, actually a, a very well-struck example. If you look at all the devices that are on the coin, the details are all there. Um, and granted, the edges are crude and all the, the over-punchings make for a crude coin, but when you have all the details visible and sharp and the nice lustrous background, really makes for a... Um, uh, a, a pretty piece overall. I was actually at the uh, New York International uh, last uh, year when Stax Bowers offered the Eldorado collection. You know, that sale was exciting. Uh, it went well into the night. The prices were off the charts. Uh, there were coins and paper money items from that sale that just never come to market. And in some cases, I think that catalog uh, may have presented collectors with their first chance to see color photographs of some of this material. And I reiterate, this area of the market is unbelievably important, and the objects are much scarcer than people realize. And the prices that these coins realize at auction, which I, which I assume, you know, we're seeing strong prices now, but compared to U.S. coins, if these were coins that were made by the U.S. Mint and there were only four known, you can't even you can't even equate the prices that would be realized at auction for the finest known of four known. So when you want to talk about where are the opportunities in the numismatic marketplace, if you're like looking for uh, an angle, you should look for these opportunities in world coins. And the coinage of the Americas is a great place to start. Right. And this is a bit superior to the uh, El Dorado specimen, but uh, for all intents and purposes, the El Dorado specimen was the uh, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and now this is even more so. Oddly enough, we did offer one uh, of this uh, uh, this uh, date, uh, one of the four known we offered in 2012. Um, it's just uh, a lot of this material comes to us. We're very specialized in this market, um, and uh What's odd to me is that my father's collection, which we sold a number of years ago, uh, that was a very uh, strong uh, Colombian Republic collection, and uh, this was a coin that he never owned. And uh, I would like to think that uh, he would be pretty proud that uh, we're offering uh, the nicest one now. And then, of course, the last one to talk about is the uh, Banco de la Republica uh, example. Uh, that's the one that's plated in, in the Restrepo reference and uh, – uh, that rounds out the the sum total of, of known examples. Um, uh, this is the only one that's, uh, or this is the the two are slabbed by PCGS, none are slabbed by by NGC. Uh, this is just the best one known. Your company is one of the most recognized sellers of cobs and primitive coinage of the Western Hemisphere. One of the most exciting cobs that you are offering is lot number 64. This is a two Escudos from 1617. It comes uh, by way of the Atocha shipwreck. I think this coin is important and historic, and it looks great. Uh, the thing about cobs is each one of them is unique, more or less. Uh, but what can you tell me about this piece? Uh, what would make it ideal for a sophisticated collector? And uh, in general, uh, what is the uh, sort of the uh, strength of the Cobb market uh, at the present time? Well, to answer your first question, uh, the uh, 
biggest aspect of this coin by far is simply that it came from the Atocha. And um, that, you know, of course, is a very popular shipwreck, but if you examine the population of coins found from the Atocha, really just a small handful were gold cobs. Uh, it was a very early period. Generally, the New World Mints weren't making gold cobs at that point. It was just silver, with the exception of uh, some very uh, nascent uh, strikings from Colombia, which are also, uh, you know, very expensive and, and important. Um, but the uh, the key for an Atocha coin, Atocha gold cob, is to have all the proper certification, you know, and, and to have a good, clean pedigree, um, because these are actually, uh, the coins themselves are not rare. Uh, in our own auction, you'll see plenty of other examples that are very similar that don't come from the Atocha. So we always make a point to have uh, a very clean uh, line of pedigree and, and certification going back to Mel Fisher himself on, on any Atocha gold cobs, and this is no exception. And uh, what's also remarkable about this particular example is that it shows a clear uh, date of 1617, um, not too unusual, certainly a, 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 in a logical date range for the Atocha and, and not a, a rare date necessarily, uh, but uh, to find a gold cob from the Atocha with full certification and to have a date visible on the coin, that's that just kind of puts it over the top. Now, the other half, the other question that you asked was, uh, how's the gold cob market in general? Uh, it, you know, it continues to be very strong, and where it has always exceeded expectations, if you will, is in shipwreck gold cobs. It's easy to kind of equate the two as being um, the same, but uh, there are plenty of gold cobs that didn't come from shipwrecks as I'm explaining here with the difference between an Atocha gold cob and, and one that did not come from the Atocha. Uh, but most of the gold cobs that we sell do come from the 1715 fleet, for example, and we have some, some really choice pieces in this auction as usual. Uh, and we just keep seeing the prices on those coins go up and up. Uh, maybe it's because of the popularity of the shipwreck. Maybe it's the fact that shipwreck gold coins in general are of higher quality and, and a much better state of preservation than uh, circulated gold coins. Uh, but then there's also the factor that uh, they're beautiful coins. They're rustic. Uh, they're historical. And if it weren't for the, the presence of coins found on shipwrecks, these coins would virtually not exist. They would be uncollectibly rare. So... Uh, we have a lot to thank for in, in terms of uh, what uh, shipwrecks have done to the coin market. Uh, I've watched it grow from kind of a, a bit of a curiosity to now a very important numismatic uh, area, and it's uh, rewarding for me to see that. Well, again, you, I, you know, I can't help it, but, you know, understanding the way the U.S. coin market operates, you know, I've been a Red Book contributor for several years, uh, much of the rarity and condition has already been priced into coins. And uh, and because like in the ultra high end of the market, you see, you know, a finite number of collectors that I, I think what we've seen is sort of very sophisticated gap between the, the finest known and sort of the run of the mill examples. When you talk about world coins, to me, this is where all of the bargains are. And I can't oversell the importance of coins that were struck under Spanish influence in the Western Hemisphere, you know, in the century or so before the American Revolution. These coins were struck from the mineral wealth that was extracted by the European powers for their use. They were extracted, uh, primitive coins were made or ingots, and then they were shipped to Europe to be melted down and turned into European money. 
Uh, and this is the reason why the Europeans spent so much manpower and effort to project their power and influence over the Americas. So the, these coins truly are the beginning of the story of what would become the United States. I totally agree. And, and the only reason these aren't more expensive is because uh, with U.S. coins, you may have 300,000 collectors in any given moment. And with these coins, it's maybe more like 3,000 collectors. And uh, that two orders of magnitude there will make a difference in price, but it's growing. I can honestly say the number of people interested in um, the early pre-U.S. coinage uh, of the Americas has, has been going up steadily. The Atocha obviously goes down 1622. It seems like it was a really horrible year for seafarers, but a great year for collectors. Another ship to go down in 1622 is the Santa Margarita, and lot 197 is a beautiful gold bar that was recovered from the Santa Margarita in 1980 by Mel Fisher. What can you tell me about this object? Well, first of all, you know, this is our, our specialty. I don't know of any other company that sells as many shipwreck ingots as we do. Um, I think that uh, a lot of that is expertise and experience because um, these aren't coins, after all, and you can't go to a reference book and say, yeah, this is die W or something. Uh, you have to just have the experience to know what is, uh, what is expected on an ingot um, and what makes sense. And then, um, you know, the way they were made, uh, it was a very temporary situation. So they weren't trying to make, uh, like coins are, they weren't trying to make a, uh, something that is beautiful and presentable to uh, the public. These were an, uh, a quick and easy way to transport gold in, in this case. Uh, then silver is a similar situation. So the markings on these pieces were rather haphazard. They had meaning and were important, but um, sometimes they will, you'll see them overlapped on each other or they are stamped in places that are very uneven on the piece. And then, of course, you have the whole aspect that most of these bars, uh, the gold bars, that is, were cut down. You know, there's a lot of value in one of these what we call finger bars. They really are, are more like cigars or even, even longer than that, but that was the shape. And... Um, the, so much value was concentrated in one place that invariably accounts had to be settled by breaking these, these pieces, these bars apart. And in the early years, that was also a, a form of currency because if you broke off a, a piece that had the finest stamped on it, then preferably the tax stamp as well, then you could prove that this was just like coinage in that, in the, uh, in the aspect that it had been taxed and was uh, proper and, and could circulate. What you didn't know, obviously, was, uh, at least on the face of it, what the weight was, and uh, not everyone carried a scale around with him. So a uh, little bit impractical, and obviously the Spanish crown did replace uh, those pieces, which uh, the term for it is oro corriente, meaning uh, basically circulating gold. Um, you know, and that was replaced with coins in, in short order. But as we see on the Atocha and Santa Margarita in 1622, they were, they were still cutting up pieces of, of uh, gold bars and, and doing that. But what's left, the uh, you know the bigger pieces like we have in this auction, um, usually have a multitude of, of uh, cool stamps on them. Uh, and that you'll see a fineness stamp and you'll see tax stamps. Uh, what I like about this particular piece from the Santa Margarita is that the uh, the cartouche, as we call it, um, which generally refers to the mine or the owner or both, um, says Fernand Alonso. Uh, very clearly, these are names and not places. So 
um, it's cool to see that uh, you know the owner's name, basically the the one who owned the mine and, and owned this ingot, owned the gold, uh, is right there on the coin. I mean, on the ingot, it's it's like having your own name punched into uh, a piece that you you made. A um, lot of lot of ways that that is uh, very uncoin like, but uh, has the same kind of appeal. And then lastly, I would say that uh, the the fact that um, the back of the bar is stamped with a very early Mel Fisher treasure salver seal uh, is important as well. It, it indicates that this was one of the finds made well before the mother load of the Atocha was found. And, um, you know, the Mel Fisher's involvement on the Santa Margarita goes back farther. And, and uh, uh, he was uh, the, the material that they found was spread pretty thin among investors and uh um, you, you very rarely see these pieces. It's, um, uh, and this is probably the clearest example of that that I've seen. Very, uh, very important piece when it comes to uh, shipwreck ingots. And it's important to be said that these were essentially meant to be gold in its temporary state. Had these gold ingots made it to their intended destination, we would not have these today as gold bars. They would have been melted down. So the reason we can study and collect these is because the ship didn't make it and because of the technology that was brought to bear to recover this material from the bottom of the ocean. Exactly. And I say that every day to people who ask me about these things. Uh, it's Once again, uh, by virtue of shipwreck salvage, we have uh, such an enriching part of uh, collectible in our area uh, with these pieces. And um, it's just uh, I think that people should pay more attention to that and, and realize the the history behind this. You know, and, and something that I find very interesting is, um, you know, a number of years ago, my uh, colleague and partner uh, wrote a book about the Tumbaga bars. Uh, we have a number of those in this sale as well, and those are ingots that were made in the early 1500s uh, during the conquest of Mexico. And, uh, and when my colleague wrote the book, he kind of put two worlds together. He got in touch with people who were researchers and academics in the Mesoamerican world. They knew about this material. They knew that, that this type of uh, uh, ingot existed, uh, very impure uh, mixes with copper and so forth, but they had no idea that these pieces actually ever survived. They, they had no clue at all. And it's only through the numismatic field and the shipwreck salvage field that we have actual examples. Uh, and that was a, a case where uh, known academic history finally met up with uh, numismatic or shipwreck history, and uh, two worlds met, and, and uh, it was like nothing else that, uh, that I've ever seen. And the amazing thing is these are not esoteric items that you can only read about in an academic book or see every now and then when you go to a museum. These are collectibles, uh, a way for us to study uh, appreciate and enjoy seeing uh, this part of numismatic history and to hold these objects in our hands. Uh, so these have tremendous historical and economic value, but as a collector, you know, having something like this would just be a centerpiece. It would be a conversation starter. It would be an object unlike anything else in your collection. Exactly. I'm excited to see how the auction plays out. Of course, I think that with the material that you have sold, and the prices that these objects have realized over the course of the past few years that uh, this sector of the market that you focus on continues to grow in a large part because of your efforts uh, and your scholarship and the scholarship of your team. 
With more, uh, with more books and uh, guides and reference material coming out uh, about this area of the, of the numismatic hobby, I think collectors today have a chance to better engage with this material. And, uh, and we have, because of that, an even, even deeper appreciation for the people, the places, and the cultures that gave birth to these pieces. So I enjoy looking through the lots that you present in your treasure auction catalog. You always offer something that I haven't seen before. Uh, the same can't be said about your run-of-the-mill auction. Uh, and I thank you again uh, for coming on to talk with me about it today. Well, thank you very much. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends. And remember, you can download all 110 episodes of the award-winning Coin Week podcast for free from the iTunes store or stream it online on our YouTube channel. For Coin Week, I'm editor Charles Morgan. Until next time, happy collecting.